Uh, I was praying, praying real hard, but things happen for a reason, man. Uh, yeah, that was tough, but uh, just gotta learn from this, man, and, and keep it pushing. Did you talk to him after at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told him to keep his head up. Uh, you know, man, that's that's a tough pill to swallow for a guy in that position. Uh, but you still gotta know that you know, that's a teammate, that's your brother, and uh, you want to make sure that he you don't take it too, too, too hard. You know what I Because mean? that's tough. That's tough. Chicago Bears linebacker Khalil Mack following last night's wild card loss to the Eagles at Soldier Field. Hi everybody, Tanner Hoops with you Monday afternoon. Glad that you're with us for the sports pen. Full disclosure, I'm sick. I'm fighting the flu bug and I'm losing. That's not going to stop me. Here in the studio with you, I love what I do and I love being with you and being able to talk at you. We're here on the sports pen because it's just way too busy of a sports time for me to take sick days, no days off. It's like a Drew Brees NyQuil commercial. Sports pen right here on ESPN-UP. Play to go over from the NFL wildcard weekend plus the college football national championship this evening. Everything in between. You get a little basketball sprinkled in there. Well, let's start with football this weekend. I said the game to watch was going to be the Bears and Eagles. And it was. That was probably the best game of the four this weekend. Comes down to a last-second field goal try. 16-15, Philadelphia gets the win over Chicago. Now, everyone's going to remember the Cody Parkey miss right at the end. Don't you just feel for that young man? I do. I feel horribly for that young man. It's a Bears franchise that is very proud, very traditional. They've got a lot of history there. But they haven't had the success that they would like here as of late was their first playoff trip since 2010. And they were the sexy pick to go to the Super Bowl out of the wild card round. And they come within a 43-yard field goal of moving on to take on a team that they dominated earlier this year in L.A. But then a missed field goal cost them their season. Let's go back to something I said last week. Last week, Monday on the sports pad. At some point this season, Cody Parkey, Chicago Bears kicker, will be the death of the Bears. Cody Parkey will miss a crucial kick at some point in these playoffs. He will end the Bears' season because of it. That was again from last week's Sports Pen, Monday, December 31st, 2018. You can go back and hear that archived in the on-demand section of our free mobile app, which you can get for your Android and your iPhone. I wish I was wrong, was the thing. As soon as the Eagles missed their two-point conversion with under a minute to go after they just scored the go-ahead touchdown, I had the feeling it's going to come down to a Cody Parkey missed field goal. And I was praying. I wasn't just hoping. I was praying I was wrong because being a kicker is such a thankless job. You could be a hero or you could be the most hated pariah in the city. And I didn't want that on Cody Parkey. I wasn't going to wish that on anybody. And unfortunately, a little bit of a tip and a couple of bad bounces off the left, upright, and the crossbars. And it just didn't go through after he was iced by Doug Peterson. Remember, he made the first kick, but Doug Peterson called a timeout. He iced the kicker. It was the Pepsi commercial come to life. By the way, you can tell that audio wasn't forged because I could talk last week. Still working on getting my voice back here a week later. I feel for Cody Parkey in a lot of ways. I know he got booed coming off the field. I don't like that. I understand the fans have the right to do that. They're upset. They're passionate, what have you. But you look on social media and you see the messages that are being sent to him, to his family members, his friends, his loved ones. And I'm thinking, how can people write this stuff about another human being and then just go about their day. It's ridiculous some of the hate that these guys are receiving. And that's why I wanted Cody Parkey to make the kick. I didn't have any investment in the Eagles or the Bears. I just didn't want a young man to have to go through all that. Now, Cody Parkey will bounce back. I don't think he's a fit in Chicago, not anymore. I thought he was their weakest link entering the playoffs, and they probably need to part ways with him. But maybe that can be a good thing, like the Vikings and Daniel Carlson. Carlson missed three crucial kicks against the Packers in Week 2, ultimately cost the Vikings a playoff berth. 
He ended up going to Oakland, set a franchise record for field goal percentage in a single season, making 16 of 17 kicks, 94%. Best in Raider history for one year. I think Parkey needs a fresh start somewhere. And then how about the job Parkey did to handle the situation afterwards? I give him a ton of credit. Misses the biggest kick of his life. He's getting hated on, booed. He knows what's going to come. The worst hasn't even hit him yet. He still goes out to midfield and he prays with the other players. He prays with members of both his team and the opponent. They pray at midfield. I don't care if you believe in prayer or not or who you pray to, what have you. He's putting his priorities first and I think that says a lot about Cody Parkey. Goes out to midfield he kneels in prayer, and he thanks God for letting him be an NFL kicker, letting him get to this stage, even though he just missed the biggest kick of his life, and he's now the most hated man in Chicago, goes out and prays. Again, I don't care what your beliefs are or who you pray to. That says a lot about Cody Parkey himself, and I give him a ton of credit for that. So the Eagles are moving on. Is it fair to say the Eagles are the hottest team coming out of the wild card round in football, or would that be the Indianapolis Colts? Both six seeds advance. Which one's going to be a tougher matchup for the one seed? Will it be Indianapolis visiting Kansas City next Saturday afternoon? Or will it be Philadelphia coming to the Superdome to take on New Orleans? The Eagles team is clicking on all cylinders right now, but I don't think they're the hottest team out of the wild card round. I think it's the Colts. And largely, it's because of how they played in the opening matchup. Now, I know the Bears are much different than the Houston Texans are. But ultimately, the Bears should have won that game. And it's not on Cody Parkey. A tipped field goal that was one rotation from going in anyway. I'm talking about stupid penalties on Amukamara and Amos and guys in the secondary on Philadelphia's first drive of the second half. Twice they extended that Philadelphia drive and let the Eagles find the end zone for the first time. Really dumb penalties. Remember Amos's hit on Zach Ertz? They had forced a stop. It would have been fourth down. But then Amos would have got called for targeting if that was college football. If the Bears defense comes off the field that possession, it might be a whole different outcome. But no one's sending death threats to Amos or Amukamara all falling on Cody Parkey. Now the Bears had their chances to beat the Eagles. Texans did not have their chances to beat the Colts. Indianapolis came out and they set the tone from the get-go, even without Jack Doyle. Andrew Luck's best friend, Jack Doyle. Even without him, Eric Ebron fills in nicely. And I know that kills Lions fans to hear that Andrew Luck is getting so much more out of him than Stafford ever could. But here's the thing, if the Texans had got a first-round bye, I would have thought they could win the AFC Championship and go to the Super Bowl. But they looked like they didn't want to be there, or they didn't know how to be there. Bill O'Brien did not have his team ready to go. It's like Brian Kelly, but at the NFL level. Indianapolis cruised in that opening round, just cruised. They look like a team that could give Kansas City matchups, especially a Kansas City team that relies too heavily on their offense and they're too one-dimensional on offense. You have a Saints team that owns home field advantage unlike any other team in the NFL. Taking on Eagle team that looked vulnerable in the opening round. If there's any team that could come out a wild card weekend and make a run to the conference championship or the Super Bowl even, it would be Indianapolis. And I'm not predicting them to do it. I'm just saying if any of them has a chance of doing it, Indy would probably be that team. I don't think there's hope that the Chargers go into Foxborough and beat the Patriots, especially after yesterday. They couldn't score a touchdown in the first half, and then they let Baltimore get back in the game in the second half. I don't think L.A. is going to go into Foxborough and knock off New England. And I don't see Dallas winning on the road against L.A. So for me, Indianapolis is the sexy pick right now. If anyone were to run the table and go to the AFC Championship or even the Super Bowl, it would be Indy. I'm not predicting that. 
I'm still going Saints and Patriots. But Indy is the hottest team out of the wild card round right now. By the way, weird day offensively yesterday. Yesterday was the first time in playoff history that a touchdown was not scored before halftime in any game. It was 12-0 at halftime of the Chargers and Ravens. Badgley, the money badger, kicked four field goals, gave a 12-0 lead, and then three field goals between Eagles and Bears by halftime for a 6-3 score. Two by Parkey, one by Elliott. First time in playoff history that's ever happened. So let's look back at what we learned from wildcard weekend. It certainly was wild. Out of the home teams, only one of them came away victorious. And that was Dallas. And that was maybe the pick that everyone thought would lose at home. But the Cowboys are the only home team to win on wildcard weekend. So we put it on the poll last night. Once we knew who was moving on, who were the final eight teams in the NFL this season, we asked you, the fans, who would win their respective conference championships. In the AFC, 46% of you said New England. They were far and away the favorite. I'm with you. I think New England's going to win the AFC this year. I, I really do, even if they have to go to Arrowhead. The Chiefs, by the way, second with 27% of the vote. Chargers got 18. Colts got 9. So New England right now is the odds-on favorite to win the AFC. The gap was even wider in the NFC. 57% of you said the New Orleans Saints are your pick to win the NFC. Nobody else had more than 20%. Rams had 19, Cowboys had 14, Eagles had 10. So according to you, the fans, if there's anybody who has a shot at coming out of Wild Card Weekend with the opportunity to make a run to the Super Bowl, it would be the Chargers. But right now I'm with you. Pats and Saints in the Super Bowl. We're up against a break, but there's more I want to touch on on the NFL before we go to college football and the national championship this evening. Who will be the starting quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles in the coming years? That's next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen lives here on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're with us Monday afternoon. Again, apologize for the hoarse voice. Still trying to fight the flu bug, and right now he's beating me. Well, we were talking about the NFL and what's been going on. Wild Card Weekend, of course, we're down to the Elite Eight, so to speak, of the NFL season. Now, the Eagles, do they have a quarterback controversy? Carson Wentz was the rookie standout coming out of North Dakota State two years ago. The Eagles have been to the playoffs twice with him on the roster, but he's never taken a snap in a playoff game. He's never even finished out a regular season. Carson Wentz has been hurt in each of his first two seasons as the Eagles starting quarterback. Nick Foles has had to come in, finish the regular season, and bring the team into the playoffs. Last year, he led him to a Super Bowl and he won Super Bowl MVP, a guy who's been a journeyman backup for a long time, for most of his NFL career. Last night, he leads his team on a game-winning fourth-quarter drive, throws a go-ahead touchdown pass to Golden Tate with under a minute to play. So do the Eagles have a controversy quarterback moving forward? Carson Wentz is the young gun, the guy who's got more longevity, but he's injury-prone. Nick Foles is a proven winner. If Nick Foles brings the Eagles back to the Super Bowl this year, can you even consider going back to Carson Wentz as starting quarterback? I mean, what's your case? I don't know how you do it. We asked you, the listenership, who is the quarterback of the future for the Philadelphia Eagles? 56% of you said Nick Foles. I got to say, I agree. I don't know how you take the ball out of his hands. He's a proven winner for you. And he works well in this system. And he distributes the ball much better than Carson Wentz does. I'm not saying he's a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. But with Doug Peterson's system, Nick Foles is better for the Philadelphia Eagles. Early on when Carson Wentz was quarterback, by the way, congratulations to Wentz's North Dakota State Bison. They win the FCS National Championship this weekend in football. 
had to give a shout out to them while the Carson Wentz saga was going on. But while Carson Wentz was still the quarterback, people were criticizing the Eagles for the Golden Tate trade, saying, is he really effective? What's he doing? Well, Golden Tate catches the game-winning touchdown last night. He wasn't getting targeted by Carson Wentz. Let's say Carson Wentz is Linus Van Pelt from the Peanuts. Zach Ertz was a security blanket. He carried that thing around with him all the time. And that was Carson Wentz's weakness. He relied on Zach Ertz way too much. He was his go-to, his security blanket, but he went to the well too many times. Zach Ertz is one of the best, if not the best, tight ends in football. But you can't single in on just one man. Especially when you have a guy behind you who's won a Super Bowl and he distributes the ball better than you. And he's doing that. He's getting Jeffrey, he's getting Tate, guys like that involved. Not just Zach Ertz. Foles distributes the ball much better in Doug Peterson's system. That's why I believe he's got to be the quarterback going forward unless he absolutely bombs on the field this weekend against New Orleans, which he might, and that may not be his fault. It just may be the atmosphere in the matchup. Unless things go absolutely A-wire this weekend, how do you give the ball back to Carson Wentz? Nick Foles brought this team to the playoffs this season. He didn't last year. It was already locked up when Wentz went down. But he still won him a Super Bowl. How do you take the ball out of Foles' hands? Another team that made the playoffs this year that might have a quarterback controversy moving forward, Baltimore. Lamar Jackson, Joe Flacco. Yesterday, Lamar Jackson became the youngest NFL quarterback ever to start a playoff game. He was 22. Joe Flacco has won this franchise a Super Bowl six years ago. He sat the bench the entire game. And Jackson was awful for three quarters. Fourth quarter, he really turned it on, and he ended up looking pretty good. But it was too little too late, as they had a chance for a game-winning drive and a fumble that L.A. recovered ended up salting it away. Lamar Jackson at halftime of yesterday's game against the Chargers, he was 2 of 8 for 17 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. He finished the game 14 of 29 for 194 yards and two touchdowns. He had more yards on less attempts and completions than Phillip Rivers. He threw for more touchdowns than Phillip Rivers. Not bad for a running quarterback, guy who can't pass. But yet, They didn't get that kind of production until the fourth quarter. So should the Ravens have put in Joe Flacco at some point? John Harbaugh is getting questioned about that. John Harbaugh, let's be honest, he coached that game like a guy who already knew he had an extension locked up. That wasn't impressive if you're a guy looking at bringing in John Harbaugh as your next head coach. So here's the thing. Let's break down this scenario. Lamar Jackson gets the Ravens back within six points. Under a minute to go, they get the ball back, needing to drive about 70 yards for a game-winning touchdown. They can't kick a field goal because they're down six. They need a touchdown. They need to go 70 yards in about 54 seconds. Should John Harbaugh have put Joe Flacco in the ball game then? Because I know you want to go with a hot hand, and that would be Jackson. I'm a big believer in the hot hand theory. But he's a running quarterback. And you need to pass the football to get into scoring range. Joe Flacco's a passing quarterback. I'm not saying he's an all-pro quarterback by any stretch. But he's won a Super Bowl, and he's the better passer. Do you rely on Joe Flacco in that situation? If you were the coach, would you have put Joe Flacco in for the final drive? A veteran or a 22-year-old rookie? I know how things turned out in hindsight is 2020. Let us know what you think. Should John Harbaugh have put in Joe Flacco over Lamar Jackson for the final drive of yesterday's wildcard game? Here's what we learned about last year's NFL draft class. Everyone said that this quarterback class was going to be one of the best 
maybe the best in recent memory, and we weren't going to get another one like it. I'm just trying to figure out why everyone came to that conclusion. I was never high on this year's quarterback draft class. The only quarterback from this year's draft class that I would have been happy with having on my team was Baker Mayfield. Lamar Jackson was the second best quarterback from last year's draft class, this year's rookie class. And he wasn't even a starter for most of this season. He wasn't even supposed to be a starter. Lamar Jackson was the second best of those quarterbacks. I could have told you that Josh Allen and Josh Rosen weren't going to pan out at the NFL level. They haven't impressed me. They really haven't. I've watched Sam Darnold over the years. His senior year at USC really didn't impress me. I didn't think his skills would translate to the NFL, and maybe it's a product of him being on the Jets, but I'm not overly impressed with Darnold. I don't believe that there's any quarterback out of this year's rookie class other than Baker Mayfield who will still be a starter or even in the league five years from now. Baker is the only one who's going to pan out. Lamar Jackson could just as well be a wideout. And that was what they wanted to do for him over in Baltimore. He could probably play as a wide receiver for the next few years. Different position in the league. I just don't see Josh Allen and Josh Rosen, even Sam Darnold, having futures in this league. They'll be journeymen. They'll be Kyle Orton's and Mark Sanchez's. Can we all admit that this year's rookie draft class outside of Baker did not live up to the hype? They underperformed. I just couldn't believe I'm shocked that Josh Allen was being taken seriously by NFL teams. Josh Rosen as well. Sam Darnold just did not impress me. Maybe there's stuff you can work with, a project, but is he going to get that kind of coaching in New York with the Jets? Maybe you could bring the best out of him, but who's going to do that? It reminds me a lot of Matt Leinart, another USC quarterback. I don't see a long NFL career for Sam Darnold. Especially when you've got guys in backup roles like Nick Foles or Terod Taylor, who the Bills should never have let go. Maybe even Joe Flacco could be on the market this season. Let me throw a couple of stats of the day at you. Nick Foles, after last night's performance, has become the all-time winningest quarterback in Philadelphia Eagle history. Making 15 minimum starts, including the playoffs, Nick Foles is now the all-time winningest quarterback percentage-wise in the history of the Eagles franchise with a 676 winning percentage he passes Donovan McNabb in case you're wondering Carson Wentz is fifth on that list with a 575 win percentage Nick Foles is also 3 and 0 when trailing in the second half during the last two postseasons all other quarterbacks are a combined 4 and 15 in those games so Nick Foles is getting the job done over in Philadelphia right now I don't know how you take the ball out of his hands. Another stat of the day on the AFC side, and this reaffirms my pick that New England is going to win the AFC. No quarterback, no starting quarterback of the five teams, now only three left in the AFC, has ever beaten Tom Brady, regular season or post. Phillip Rivers will get his shot. He has the worst record of any of the quarterbacks in the AFC playoffs this year. He's 0-7 against Tom Brady all-time, regular season or post. When those two have matched up, Brady has won all seven matchups. Andrew Luck is 0-6. Patrick Mahomes, 0-1. They met on Sunday Night Football earlier this year. Deshaun Watson, his team now out of the playoffs. He has faced Brady twice and lost both times. Lamar Jackson still has never met Tom Brady in the NFL. The divisional round of the NFL playoffs coming up this weekend. We're down to eight. We will be at four by the time I talk at you next week and hopefully get a little bit stronger of a voice by then as well. We're up against a break, so we'll take our second time out as we hit the bottom of the hour. Don't forget, coming up on the other side, we're going to talk about the College Football National Championship. It's Alabama, it's Clemson Part 4, 
as those two battle for the Natty in Santa Clara this evening. Plus, we'll have your Sports Center update. Then we'll switch over to a little basketball. All that and more is coming up next in the Sports Pen. You're listening to ESPN UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're with us on this Monday afternoon. Here is your Sports Center update. Kansas basketball star Yadoka Azabuki will miss the remainder of the season with a torn ligament in his right hand. All-American running back David Montgomery has declared for the NFL draft he will forego his senior season at Iowa State. And the Minnesota Twins have introduced plans for a living wall over the batter's eye in center field. They will be the first Major League Baseball team to do it. The wall will stand approximately 2,280 square feet. That is the largest in the United States. And it will be home to about 5,700 different sea green Jupiter plants that will increase the aesthetics of the batter's eye. By the way, it's all going to be self-irrigated via pent air and their rainwater recycle system. That is your Sports Center update. Keep it tuned right here to ESPN UP all throughout the day. Let's look ahead to college football tonight, the national championship game, and for the fourth straight year, Alabama will meet Clemson in the college football playoff. Last year it was a blowout in the semifinals. Alabama really throttled Clemson 24-6. So now they meet in the national championship game. Now, people may say it's bad for college football if two teams continue to play each other over and over and over in the finals. That it becomes like what the NBA has with the Warriors and the Cavs, or at least what they had, not looking at the Cavs making the NBA finals this year. People say that's bad for a sport when you don't have that kind of parity. That's why they don't want Tom Brady in the Super Bowl this year, get somebody new in there. And from a fan's perspective... I kind of like that. I can agree with that. I would like a little parody. But if the idea is to have the two best teams playing for a championship at the end of the year, isn't that what they're doing? They're doing it right now. They've got the two best teams in college football this year. Undoubtedly, there is a huge gap between Alabama, Clemson, and everybody else. We used to think Georgia was maybe third place in there. Maybe they still are, but they're far distant third after their blowout loss against Texas. If there's any team in college football that can look on their schedule, see Alabama, and not blink, it's Clemson. But Alabama's still going to be the favorite. I think the line closed at five points. Alabama's a five-point favorite. I think that's probably right. There's a lot to like about Clemson. Anytime you've got quarterback like Trevor Lawrence and a wideout like Hunter Renfro that's a deadly combination the question will be how healthy can Tua Tagovailoa be now last week against Oklahoma he looked really really good you thought he's been injured when you looked at him he didn't look like a guy who was dealing with a high ankle injury but he had what four or five weeks to rest that since the SEC championship game He's had nine days since the college football semifinal. Here's the thing, though. If Jalen Hurts would have to play in the ballgame for whatever reason, that's not the end of the world at all for Alabama. Jalen Hurts is the ultimate insurance policy for Nick Saban because he actually looks better than he did last year when he took Alabama to the national championship game. He lost his spot last year at halftime of the Natty against Georgia. But this year, he didn't lose the starting quarterback job. Tua earned the job. And Jalen Hurts looks better than he did last season. So no matter what you get out of Tua, you're going to get a more than capable backup with Jalen Hurts coming into the ballgame. I do believe that this is the best version of Alabama that Nick Saban has had during his tenure as head coach, which, by the way, just reaches 12th anniversary. I also believe that this is the best Clemson version of Dabo Sweeney's tenure during his nine years coaching the Tigers. And again, if any team can go toe-to-toe with Alabama, that would be Clemson. But will that be enough? I don't think it will be 
And I think particularly it's going to be Clemson's offensive line. That's going to be their weakest link tonight. If you watch tonight, Alabama's going to control the line of scrimmage. Clemson has to figure out a way to neutralize the interior defensive linemen if they want a shot at winning. They've got such a weapon in Trevor Lawrence, they have to give him time to work. They have to give him a clean pocket. Remember, he's just a freshman. This will be his first time seeing a team like Alabama. If the Crimson Tide can stunt and twist their interior D linemen, they are going to have a field day with Clemson's offensive line. That's not to say Clemson's O-line is weak, but it is their weak spot. And Alabama is going to take advantage of it. Especially when you've got a young quarterback back there who's still trying to figure this team out, figure the system out, and he'll be trying to figure out the Alabama defense all night. It's a recipe for disaster, so you're going to see a lot of blitzes, heavy dose of pressure from the Alabama defense tonight. They are going to do everything they can to make Dabo Sweeney's freshman quarterback uncomfortable. Clemson has got to control the line of scrimmage to have a chance to win tonight. I think that they'll put up a fight. That's why I like the five-point spread. But if they don't control the line of scrimmage, we may be looking at an Alabama blowout. The question coming into this season, I think a lot of people thought Alabama and Clemson right now are the top two teams. They're the top tier of college football. The only question was going to be where was the gap and where would everybody else line up after that. I think there was a faction of people asking, though, is there a gap between Alabama and Clemson? And there might be. We're going to get that question answered for us tonight when those two teams square off with the national championship on the line. Alabama blew out the Tigers last year, and really that spelled the beginning of the end for Kelly Bryant. And a reminder to you all that we will have live coverage of the national championship game both on ESPN TV and ESPN Radio. If you're in the car, you're not getting ESPN Radio, whatever reason, you can go to ESPN UP. You can do it with your smartphone if you get our free mobile app. And you can listen to the ESPN Radio national broadcast of the college football championship game. We will carry it here on ESPN UP, both on AM and FM and online with our app. Television broadcast will be Chris Fowler, Kirk Herbstreet, Maria Taylor, and Tom Rinaldi. They'll be on the call from Santa Clara. On the radio side of things, it's Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, Holly Rowe, and Ian Fitzsimmons all on the call for television and radio. Kickoff set for 8 o'clock here on the East Coast this evening. That'll be 5 o'clock local time in Santa Clara. Should be a fun game, though. I'm hoping it's another good one. We deserve a good college football game to end this season, don't we? Don't get me wrong, it's been a fun season, but haven't the bowl matchups been a little underwhelming this year? You look at the college football playoff games and the New Year's Six Bowls, there weren't very many good games. I mean, Georgia got within a touchdown of Texas, but really that one was over from the first quarter. Texas set the tone, they dominated. Georgia really didn't have a shot at getting into that game. You had Michigan getting blown out by Florida. Clemson blew out Notre Dame. Oklahoma blown out by Alabama. Ohio State, their win was never really in question. I mean, it was kind of close. The New Year's Six game that was probably the most exciting was LSU finally knocking off UCF. With Central Florida getting exposed for who they are and having their 25-game winning streak snapped. Doesn't it feel a little underwhelming with the bowl matchups we had this year? We deserve, as college football fans, we deserve a great college football national championship this evening. And again, it's my hope that you tune in, whether it's on ESPN TV or ESPN Radio, which we are streaming here on ESPN UP. Hope that you're tuned in for what should be a really good game. We no doubt got the two best teams in college football this season playing for the championship tonight. It'll be the fourth straight year that they have met in the college football playoff. Alabama taking on Clemson. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's talk about UCF before we go to break. Now, UCF has been kind of quiet since they lost in the Fiesta Bowl on New Year's Day. Rightfully so. Let me say this from the beginning. 
I respect that UCF was able to win 25 straight games. Okay, that's not easy. I respect that. But when they beat Auburn in the bowl game last season, that's where they started running their mouths. That's where they started saying we're the only undefeated team in football. We're the real national champions. We were snubbed from the playoffs. They started trolling everybody, and they even raised a banner. This year, they felt like they were getting left out on the college football playoff conversation as well. Mackenzie Melton, their quarterback, even said at one point this season, you can't tell me that we aren't better than Notre Dame. I may be a little biased, but is there anybody out there who actually thinks that UCF could beat Notre Dame? UCF is like a high school team that schedules 7th graders, goes undefeated, and then asks why they're not being taken seriously. I mean, congrats, you won 25 straight games. That's great. It's an accomplishment. It is a remarkable achievement. Don't get me wrong, no matter who you play. But you can't tell me that your toughest non-conference game is Pitt and expect that you should seriously be a contender for the college football playoff. You can't tell me that. UCF got what they deserve. They want to be taken seriously like they want to be considered one of the top four teams in college football because that's what the college football playoff is designed for. The four best of the four most deserving. You're not deserving if your best non-conference win is Pitt and you play in the American Athletic Conference. That's not going to cut it. UCF can't feel like they got snubbed. They were the feel-good story. People were on their side until... They beat Auburn last year, and they started running their mouths. Congratulations to them winning 25 straight games. Again, that's an achievement at any level. I don't care if they're a group of five team, but don't say that that makes you qualified to be in the college football playoff because you're not at that level. Now, people will say they put up 32 on LSU. Alabama only put up 29. They got within eight of a power five team. Well, great, but the results have to matter. And you think about this LSU team, a team that was missing 10 starters in that game, including a couple that got ejected. Oh, but what about how UCF was playing with a backup quarterback after McKenzie Milton got hurt? Well, three of the four teams in the college football playoff this year had been using two different quarterbacks. In fact, the top three teams in the college football playoff playoff rankings used multiple quarterbacks throughout this season and still went undefeated. Alabama used Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts. Clemson used Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. Notre Dame used Ian Book and Brandon Wimbush. They all did it with two quarterbacks. Why couldn't you? So again, congratulations UCF to take nothing away from what you've done. It's a great accomplishment, but know your role and schedule better if you want to be taken seriously. Sincerely, all of us in the college football world. We're up against another timeout. We'll come back. We've got some basketball to break down for you. All that and more is coming up next in the Sports Pen. You're listening to ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP you. Glad that you're with us on this Monday afternoon, winding down. The work week and getting you to the 5 o'clock hour. Almost ready for the national championship. College football national title game this evening. Don't forget it's on ESPN TV and radio. And we'll have it for you here on ESPN UP as well. You can tune in on our AM and FM stations and with our mobile app if you're outside of our listening area. Well, we'll switch over to basketball for a little bit. The Minnesota Timberwolves making news yesterday in a couple of different ways. Firstly... They welcome the Los Angeles Lakers, and they blow them out. They win by a final score of 108-86. Carl Anthony Towns, a monster game, 28 points, 18 boards, 4 blocks. However, it's not enough to save head coach Tom Thibodeau's job. Tibbs is out with a career record of 97-107 and at Minnesota. Thibodeau was a little surprised at the move. They just blew out the Lakers. A LeBronless Lakers, keep in mind. But things weren't going well in Minnesota during Thibodeau's time. And now he's out the door. 
and the Wolves are without a head coach. Minnesota is 19-21 to start this season. That is good for 11th place in the Western Conference. Currently, they're nine games out of first place. I tell you what, I'm a little surprised by the move myself. Not necessarily that Thibodeau was fired. You knew that was coming. I'm surprised it happened yesterday after the team thumped the Lakers. And Thibodeau was too. So now what do you look forward to if you're Minnesota? They are a team that perennially, I said it on the show last week, they are perennially right there. They have enough talent. They should be winning. So why aren't they? That's the story of Minnesota's life. Who do they bring in that can get the best out of the young guns that they have? Well, I wonder, could Fred Hoiberg be out there? You wonder if he might have the opportunity to come take over the Timberwolves. They certainly have no problem bringing in former Bulls. They did that with the roster makeup. Hoiberg replaced Thibodeau in Chicago. Maybe he'll do the same thing in Minneapolis. Hoiberg played for Minnesota. He was an assistant GM for Minnesota. Went on to have a very successful run with Iowa State as their head basketball coach before going to the NBA. No doubt he was in a tough situation with the Chicago Bulls. Front office told him not to use certain players. They want them to rest and get healthy again so he doesn't use them. They lose. They get fired. He had one game with Laurie Markinen this year. I still believe Hoiberg is a better college coach than an NBA coach. I'd like to see him get this Wolves job. I'd like to see him get the opportunity. Continuing with the NBA. Mentioned last week, I was talking with Ryan Stieg. Mentioned on the show last week, James Harden is probably the MVP favorite right now. I know there are Giannis fans out there listening, but you can't argue with the tear that Harden is on right now. Exclusively on offense, Harden might be the best player in the NBA right now. Harden could be the best offensive player in the NBA. So let's speculate and have some fun. What if the NBA held a one-on-one tournament and you bring in the best players, let's say top 16 players in the NBA? Now, LeBron would be a lot of people's pick to win it because he's LeBron. But how about James Harden? You think James Harden could beat LeBron one-on-one? Top offensive player against the top overall player? What about Steph Curry and the way he shoots the ball? This might be a tournament that depends on the matchup because do you think that Steph Curry would beat James Harden? I think he would. If Steph Curry beat James Harden in one-on-one, I think he would. Because defense has got to factor in at some point. And Curry's ability to shoot from anywhere on the floor, that would be the tough matchup for Harden. Harden can put up points with the best of them, but X, O, can Curry. Curry would need to play okay defense to get the win over Harden in that tournament. But there are guys that Harden could definitely pick up a win against. It all depends on the matchup. What about Kevin Durant? If the NBA played a one-on-one tournament with the top 16, would Kevin Durant reach the Final Four? Would he beat James Harden one-on-one? You've got the length and the athleticism and the better, well-rounded skill set of Kevin Durant going up against probably the best offensive player in the NBA with James Harden. Durant-LeBron going head-to-head could be fun. And then if we filled out the rest of the bracket, are there any sleepers like Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Damian Lillard, Kawhi, Giannis? You could have a lot of fun looking at how this tournament might go down. If the NBA is looking for something better, more productive, instead of All-Star Weekend maybe, you can go ahead and have a charity one-on-one tournament. That would be something I'd like to see. That'd be something I'd tune into. Let's go to college basketball here before we run out of time. The new rankings come out today, and the top four remains the same. Duke, Michigan, Tennessee, 
and Virginia. Gonzaga jumps up to number five. Michigan State up to number six. Kansas, after being upset by Iowa State on Saturday, falls to number seven. Texas Tech up to number eight. Virginia Tech up to number nine. And then Nevada falling to New Mexico over the weekend drops to number ten. So that is the new top ten in men's college basketball. Duke, Michigan, Tennessee, Virginia, Gonzaga, Michigan State, Kansas, Texas Tech, Virginia Tech, and Nevada. Michigan with a big win yesterday. They snap Indiana's seven-game winning streak. The Wolverines remain one of the last unbeaten teams in all of college basketball. Where does this 2018-2019 version of the Wolverines rank compared to the Fab Five? Are they better than the Fab Five? Is it too early to say that? Am I allowed to say that? Because this team... It's not just reminding me of the Fab Five. They look to me like this team could go toe-to-toe and even beat the Fab Five. This is a really, really good Michigan basketball team. And I cannot wait for when they take on Michigan State. Tom Izzo's guys up to sixth in this week's polls. I cannot wait to see where they end up in the Big Ten standings and how they end up against each other. There is no college basketball on tonight because... Well, college football dominates things. Tonight is football's night in the NCAA. Not trying to look too far ahead, but Michigan and Michigan State do play twice. Unfortunately, we have to wait until February 24th for the first matchup. February 24th is at Michigan, and then March 9th, final game of the regular season, they are in East Lansing at the Breslin Center. I hate that we have to wait that long for that matchup. Of course, there's plenty of Big Ten teams that are right up there in the top 25 or just outside of it. Got Nebraska, Iowa, Wisconsin, Indiana all hanging around there. Wisconsin won last night. They bounced back from a bad loss against Minnesota last week where we might start to see a new trend emerge because of how the Gophers played Ethan Happ in that game. Hack-a-hap. Because his free throw shooting wasn't good, the Badgers were not good at the free throw line as a team. Will Hack-A-Hap catch on? Greg Gard certainly hopes not, or he knows what he's going to be working on in practice in the near future. Let's double back to the National Basketball Association, take a look at what's been making news today, and look ahead to tonight's games before we take a look at the newest college football Hall of Fame induction class. If you think you're having a bad day, you're not NBA guard Michael Carter-Williams. The Houston Rockets traded MCW today, along with cash considerations, to Chicago in exchange for a second-round draft pick. Michael Carter-Williams, the former Rookie of the Year, won't play a game for the Bulls. He's already been waived, which means that he's only going to be owed $1.2 million. He played sparingly this year for Houston. He's 27 years old, but he's contributed very little to the team's recent hot streak. He's averaging 4.3 points a game and just over an assist to go along with nine minutes of contest. He's only appeared in 16 games this year. That's tough for a former rookie of the year. Gets traded to Chicago, and then Chicago says that they're going to waive him. They don't want to pay him. So it frees up a little cap space for Houston. It drops their luxury tax bill by $2.6 million, and it opens up a roster spot, which tells me Houston's not done making moves. They see the time is now where they can get back into this thing after an abysmal start. As it stands right now, Houston is 22-16. That is good for fifth place in the Western Conference. They're four and a half games behind Denver for the top spot. So nothing's out of reach by any means. Houston had possible NBA final aspirations this year. They have a chance to reclaim that spot. Elsewhere in the NBA... Chandler Parsons and the Memphis Grizzlies are splitting up. Parsons has been out of the lineup since late October. He's been dealing with right knee soreness. So the Grizzlies decided that they were going to send him down to their G League affiliate, the Memphis Hustle. That would be sort of a rehab assignment for Parsons, and he was happy to agree. So he went down there, tried to get back into his game, played well offensively, But his defense left a lot to be desired. So, Chris Wallace, the general manager for Memphis, decided that Parsons was going to be kept with the Memphis hustle. Parsons reportedly shouted at Wallace to let me play. 
during a scrimmage. On some level, I feel for Parsons. He's been a great NBA player throughout his career. Obviously, he's on the downhill slide, but he can still probably contribute somewhere. And I get he wants to go somewhere where he feels valued and he feels like he's contributing to a team. He wanted to be a long-term piece for an NBA team, even if it's a team like Memphis that's not really going anywhere this season. But now he doesn't even have that. And Parsons wants to go somewhere where he can be a contributing factor. But at the same point, man, you got to get your defense better. And if that means going down to the G League for a little bit, it's like a baseball player in the minors, got to work on your defense, even if that means going down to the minors. Look at Byron Buxton with the Minnesota Twins. He was a phenomenal piece in their postseason run in 2017. But then he just didn't have the same momentum, the same mojo in 2018. Spent most of the season in AAA. Some of it was due to rehab, some of it due to performance. His defense was phenomenal. It was his hitting that was the problem. It's the other way around for Chandler Parsons. It's his defense that's his Achilles heel. And he needs to work on it in the minors. Now Byron Buxton handled that very well. And I give him a ton of credit for that. And maybe it's because he's much younger. He's 24 years old. Parsons, window's closing on him, and he wants to spend his final playing days in the NBA, not in the G League. But if Parsons is going to go somewhere and be a valuable piece, he's got to be a more well-rounded player. You can get away with struggling on defense from time to time if you're putting up offensive numbers like James Harden. But Chandler Parsons isn't doing that. I could go a little further with that, but I want to get to the College Football Hall of Fame class of 2019 before we run out of time. 13 new members in this year's class. They are headlined by Rakib Ishmael and Vince Young. Of the other nine players inducted in this year's class, they include Wisconsin offensive tackle Joe Thomas, recently retired Cleveland Browns legend, and former Michigan State running back Lorenzo White. Other players inducted in this year's class, Arkansas running back Darren McFadden, the Heisman runner-up in 2006, Oklahoma defensive back Ricky Dixon, John Carroll linebacker Landon Fletcher, Texas A&M D-lineman Jacob Green, North Carolina State wideout Torrey Holt, Arizona State quarterback back Jake Plummer, USC defensive back Troy Palomalu, and Mississippi linebacker Patrick Willis. The two coaches inducted in this year's class are Dennis Erickson, who coached Miami to two national championships, and Joe Taylor, who won 233 games. That does it for us here in the sports pen. Again, I thank you for putting up with my sore throat, what have you, but glad to be with you every day here in the sports pen, 4 to 5 on ESPN-UP. Don't forget, College Football National Championship game coming up this evening. We'll have it for you here on ESPN and ESPN Radio as well as ESPN-UP. You can listen on our AM or FM stations, plus with our free mobile app you can get for your smartphone, Apple phone, or Android. Coverage begins at 6.30. Kickoff is at 8. You have plenty of time to pregame and get ready for the national title game. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Signing off from ESPN-UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette. I'm Tanner Hoops. Enjoy the natty.